This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up? It's Jenny LSQ. Welcome to episode 17 of my LSQ podcast, which more importantly is part two of an interview with Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes and Desaparecidos and beyond. Thanks to everyone who checked out the first part and for all your sweet feedback as well. By the way, you can always reach me on Twitter at Jenny LSQ. So just to catch you up on the first half of the interview, in in case you haven't gotten to it yet, we talked about Connor's earliest childhood musical influences. Things like tagging along with his older brothers to all-ages punk shows in his native Omaha, or hanging out and learning everything he could at the local record store. Uh, We also discussed his high school band, Commander Venus, and some hilarious memories from that era, and the initial recordings as Bright Eyes. And in the second part of the interview, you'll hear us discuss how some of Connor's more contemporary influences entered the picture, specifically Bob Dylan. And we'll delve into Connor's songwriting and lyric writing process, which I just find so fascinating as someone who regards Connor as one of the finest lyricists of his generation, or, you know, in my opinion, any other for that matter. Also, don't forget, if you're listening to this podcast when it's still new, Connor and his Mystic Valley band are on the road right now. Check ConnorOberst.com for more info, but you don't want to miss that show if you can possibly avoid that particular feeling of absence and loss. Life's hard, but you can go to some good shows, you know? All right, let's get into it. Connor, part two on LSQ. After you went, like, as a kid into this super hyper deep dive into, like, Indian punk stuff or whatever, when did you start revisiting the even older stuff, you know, the, the like your sort of, like, Bob Dylan-y stuff? Same same thing, like back to the record store and back to like Simon Joyner and back to like my older friends where it's like, you know, nobody knows who Simon Joyner is. So it's like, that's why it's like kind of like funny to like even say it this way. But right. like, you know, probably the reason I like Bob Dylan, and of course, I, I, mean, I remember learning to play like Blow in the Wind when I was like 10. You know, but whatever. Like, my parents were not, like, Dylan heads. They were, like... I mean, they had, like, his greatest hits or whatever. Right. But, like, you know, my... I'm a huge Dylan fan and have subsequently absorbed, like, all of his records. Well, maybe not the last, like, ten, but up until the Frank Sinatra records. No, but, like, all of my, I guess, affinity for what you'd call kind of folk 
or like country stuff. Or like my favorite, like Towns, Townsend's Aunt, John Prine, Dylan. I mean, even my my parents were like Neil Young fans, but even like you know more deep dive shit on Neil Young and just kind of like who I would consider my you know long term heroes all came from kind of a backhanded way of like this is influential to this other thing you this like other thing yeah like. yeah or like this like lo-fi 90s tape culture you know joiner and john donnell and yeah Lou Barlow i mean same same like, i mean i think that's like, how you do it right yeah. is you're, you're like okay where did they get it from yeah. and you know and because of the record store they were able to be like and listen to this and this is, you know what I mean? Like, and here's this Chris Christopherson record, or here's this Townsend Zane record, or here's this, you know, Phil Oaks record, or whatever. Like, this right. stuff that I probably would have never come to on my own, but because I knew that it influenced, like, these more current artists that I was admiring at the time, made me interested enough to go and investigate yeah. their, like, predecessors. Which, no offense to all of them, but I ended up, in a lot of cases, liking the predecessors more, you know. But I had to get there somehow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, Dylan is, like, weirdly, like, the gift that keeps on giving to me. Like, I feel like there's, I mean, so many amazing records and amazing... Even when, like, the music is, like, not exactly that interesting. It's just, I mean, just the word... Because I'm, you know, obviously, like, I think about words a lot and think about words to melody lines a lot and yeah i mean there's a reason why he's like kind of like not really disputed as like the best songwriter because it's like yeah he if it's for that thing yeah he is empirically like empirical evidence he's like the best right that thing right well he's the best bob dylan there will ever be that's for sure and i feel like you know i feel like what i do is similar enough that i like i would be bullshitting if i wasn't like yeah obviously like bobby d is fucking sick dude i mean like his shit is it's hot i mean sure you can get into like the weeds and there's a thousand missteps or not that great of songs but the guy's written how many songs has that guy written like thousands of songs yeah it's like well and if you're if you're if you're all a songwriter interested in like words and like you know like putting the human experience into like a rhymed meter situation how will you not celebrate that guy's contribution to yeah. the world because he's the best at that you know you can like dance around the issue i used to i i felt like when i was a kid like a kid like 20 whatever early 20s and I had, you know, I got the whole bullshit fucking New Dylan thing, which was like, sucks if you're a songwriter and you're just trying. And I never felt like I was like, compared to a lot of people, I don't ever felt like I was like particularly like emulating Dylan. I just, I was like, guy with a lot of words in my songs, you know? Yeah. Basically. <laughs> like, melodically, I don't think I ever like was trying, you know? Right, just had a lot just of, the cadence, the, just had the, a lot of right, words the verbiage, yeah. Yeah, just a bunch of words. And it's like, okay, well, that's what folk music is, for one. And the thing with Dylan is like, he, he admits to it, and I think 
multiple times that he, well, obviously he was a Woody Guthrie, right. you know, fucking like impersonator. Right. I mean, he literally was. Right, right. He literally came to New York City and played Woody Guthrie songs. Yeah. And sounded exactly like this dude. Yeah. Went and fucking was like a super fan and like tracked him, tracked him down on like his fucking hospital bed. So he's not immune to that thing that makes you gravitate towards stuff you like. But I don't know. I guess what I was saying is like when I was getting that, those questions all the time and like labeled that way, I like purposely, which is so like sort of cowardly and I don't know. I would like play down the fact that I like liked right Roman because I felt like I had to like in interviews and stuff. I'm like, oh no, I don't know. It's cool or whatever. <laughs> I like but lots. Of I don't stuff. think I like really denied it, <laughs> right. but I remember being like, you know, not giving into it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna like go into like my favorite Dylan songs because that's like all you're gonna write about if I fucking say that right yeah. now. You know? Yeah. But. Did you, and obviously Simon Joyner is the point of entry for a lot of this stuff for you, but like when you started writing songs and you were writing lyrics and early on kind of figured out that words appealed to you, but like, was there a series of things you had to do to improve, you know, your wordsmithery? I mean, obviously I always wanted to be better and I always wanted to make better songs, but like what is better and everything is objective and everything is... Or, I mean, everything is subjective and everything is sort of like where you're at at the time when you're like expressing yourself. So, I mean, did you I get to, was I, there a point where you were, where more revision entered the picture in your process yeah. or where, yeah? I got, I think at an earlier age, I would just finish a song and that would be it, record it, because it was oftentimes like finish it, record it that same afternoon on the four track, and that was the song. And, Right. That was it. So yeah, as I guess my process of recording and definitely like collaborating with Mike Mogus and the Bright Eyes stuff and then subsequent like producers and shit, you get more into like, you know, let's work on this more and let's revise and that definitely crept into like the word or songwriting part of it. Mm. And I wanted to you know, bring my best, put my best foot forward as far as like what I could do on that aspect of the music. So yeah, I got into the habit of writing like multiple verses for a given song, Mm. you know, whereas maybe I would have like, you know, say there's three verses in a song, like I would have just done it and that would be it. Right. But I got into like, okay, I'm going to write 12 verses for this song. Right. So like around Lifted, maybe. Yeah. And then I'm going to go back and pick my favorites, which I feel like, <laughs> which maybe <laughs> potentially backfired a little bit in the sense of like, I think like a lot of my songs be from verse to verse, like jump so heavily, like from... Because you cut out a bunch of stuff. Well, or just like, yeah, like I had this thought, I was focused on this thought one day. Right. And then a week later, wrote like an entirely, you know. Yeah. I feel like some of my songs suffer from like, what the, what is he talking about? But I also like music, I also like songs like that, that are, yeah. even if they jump subject to subject, or just the second verse doesn't feel like it's that connected to the first verse. As long as I don't know. I don't. As long as it's a good verse, right? I don't know. know. I think I I don't think you have that problem 
at all. I yeah. mean, the opposite. I think your songs have a high rate of continuity in terms of like once there's once the kind of idea is once the listener is clear on what the idea is, there's a, it's very kind of consistent in terms of like sticking to different ways of looking at that idea or something. Yeah. No, I for the first time in my life, just the other day, I was doing this like which happens all the time here in LA, but I never have done it really in my life, which is like trying to like co-write like oh, a dad, person. Yeah. So I was trying to, trying to do it. And um, I really, I'm terrible at it. I realized that for starters, but then I feel like so much of my songwriting process is like, you know, I don't know, just very like individualized to my the way my brain works that it's hard to transfer to other people and i think that's why <clears throat> my songs have i don't know maybe a strange not strange but there's there's a i guess i'm what i'm trying to say is i'm envious of certain abilities of like my friend taylor goldsmith from from dawes is a guy he just he just can write a perfect song after a perfect song it always comes back around. It always the metaphors like, and stuff. It connects yeah. to the the theme of the song, and it's like beautifully packaged, perfect. Or like Gil, Gillian Welsh and Dave, like those, like those, those kind of songs. Those kind of people write. They like it's. I love their songs, and they are so perfectly developed and executed. It's like. It's I don't thorough. Know. Yeah, and it's like, you know, turning in, and I, I don't mean that that's maybe it would sound like a slight or something, but I mean it as a compliment, which is like, it's like turning in like a beautiful fucking thesis for your like doctorate of songwriting. Like every time they finish the song, it's like, dang. Right. Like now this is a, like put that in the American canon of great songwriting. <laughs> you know, like you did it. Ding, ding, ding. You know? And I I feel like my shit's always too fucked up and, like, weird and not understandable. <laughs> I was just thinking about that story that um, you told me about when you were sort of ended up doing an impromptu uh, performance for a school of uh, class of Berkeley School of Music students where yeah. you were where you just thought you were going to be visiting and then you were asked to play a song and after the song you were the students at, you know could take you could take questions and what was the question <laughs> what'd she ask um she asked uh she rose her she she raised her hand and she said uh this is after like a few questions about like what's it like to like write on a tour bus and then <laughs> this sweet girl rose her hand and she said so you don't care if you sing and pitch at all. <laughs> you just don't care. <laughs> and I tried to be like really like, you know, respectful. I was like, well, I think like, you know, I've never been a trained vocalist. And <laughs> I think if you express yourself in a way that feels right for you, that that's okay. And I'm, I gravitate towards vocalists with strange sound, you know, strange uh you know inflections and but yeah the um 
Duh. You just don't care at all. You're like, I care a little bit sometimes. <laughs> it's like, I care a lot. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just can't do it. But, but no, Livingston Taylor, who's James Taylor's brother, was the fucking professor. professor. So he's the one that talked me into this whole thing. And then I sing, and then, like, I just was sitting in the class, and then he's like, and no, Mr. Bright Eyes is going to sing a song for you guys. I'm like, damn it. So I'm just trying not to be fucking rude. I'm like, what song did you do? Do you remember? I I played um, Lenders in the Temple, which is like, it was my first solo album, which I had just written. It was like my newest song. But so I played it, and it was very awkward. like 30 students and then he like stops and he's like looks around and gets this big crazy look on his face and he's like looks at the class and he's like how about those consonants oh like, wow I'm like, I'm like, what but he's how about those he, consonants yeah yeah he was impressed by how he's like he he explained that i over pronounced my consonants Wow, that's a good. Now, th- that's a good. Th- that's what they teach you to do the, at the Berkeley School of Music. I guess so. That was his big takeaway from my fucking like existential dilemma, fucking death god song. Was like, how about those consonants? Was like, Jesus fucking Christ! I don't know how much your fucking parents are paying you to go to this school, but get the fuck out! Oh my god! Do you, I mean? A lot of songwriters describe, you know, the classic kind of Paul McCartney story, the ham and eggs yesterday, you know, syllables going with a melody and you gibberish your way through until is that sort of how the lyric writing begins for you? Or are you also writing down phrases that appeal to you as or turns a phrase here and there? More both, but I would say more the former, like I... My typical, like, songwriting process is, like, just either on guitar or piano, finding some chords that feel right or feel good enough to sing to, and then, yeah, just, like, singing gibberish words, you know, back in the day would have been four track or something but now it's like a voice memo on the phone and getting a sort of semblance of a melody and then I write the words to the melody and then I'm really not sometimes I'll have some good lyrics like right off the bat or like some some line or something will come like right with the melody which becomes like the seed of the song. But a lot of times I just force myself just to get something on the paper because I feel like phrasing-wise and whatever else, it's like I need to solidify the melody. I need to have some words to sing to it mm-hmm. or else it remains kind of like nebulous where I can't I can't remember it when I go back to play it. Right, right. But if there's words to sing, I can, I will remember it. So I do that, but with the absolute and probably like 98% of the time like rewrite the words you know right or maybe I'll keep I'll like the rhyme scheme like I'll like what I'll like kind of like how some words sound in the gibberish like early state and so I'll be like okay like phonetically I like how this works 
but I'm not saying anything interesting or cool or relevant. So I'll focus on finding words that fit phonetically with the chord progression and the demo, but that I like more. As right. like poetry, you know. Right, right. So and then so you you do you sit separately for for a period of time, like separate from the melody, separate from the song, as you are f- really fleshing in the bones of of the words, because it seems like it is. It must be a pretty intensive process since there are, as you say, a lot of words and sometimes mm-hmm. a lot of verses and and ideas and some very refined. Um, turns of turns of phrase and stuff like that like i mean are is there is there a lot of time spent just sort of focus only on the words or do you always have to be kind of listening to the song as you're no i mean and i this is something i like want to actually improve on um which is i feel like there's more i could do with melodies and you know i tend to like once I get like my stanza and my melodic structure, I could write two hundred fucking verses to the same fucking song. You know, it's right. like easy. Right. You know, about like whatever subject. You know, right. so it's more like focusing. Like, okay, what am I? What do I want this thing to be about? It's great, and that's where like, you know, collaborating comes in, and you know, I I don't feel like. I'm the most like musical person in the world. I'm not like a great guitar player. I'm not like a great piano player. Like I, I do it in a very like utilitarian fashion. Like where I'm, like, I feel like my, the thing I do that is interesting to the world is like the words and the vocal melody and the sort of presentation of some idea or mm. something that might be interesting to somebody. Like I don't, I don't find, <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm, 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 not, I'm under no like illusion that I'm like right. some kind of sick guitar player, or right. piano player. But I also am smart enough to like surround myself with people that are very gifted in all those like pursuits, and I've made it part of my life to find those kind of people and attach myself to them and try to bring as much out of them as I can and have them bring as much out of me as they can and like you know marry our talents so that you know at the end of the day it might be a complete picture of musicality and poetry and whatever songwriting and concept and you know, I, I don't know. Everything's, it's all like an art project to me. It's like, I want it to be fucking dope. I want like people to like walk away being like, God damn, that's like, is gave me the heebie jeebies when I heard it. I was like, Ooh, cause you know that stuff when you hear it. Yeah. What shows that you've been to as a, just as a, as a, fan or as a concert goer do you remember most fondly as having been you know like the feeling you hope that people get at your show of like just wow that is fucking zone right there oh i'm trying to think of like ones that have really knocked me off my feet like um actually i saw david byrne one time at 
uh, Telluride uh, Bluegrass, Bluegrass Festival. Yeah. He had probably 20 people on stage. That was like one that knocked me out. Like some of those cats that like, that are just really like, yeah, they're super popular and they're super long-term <laughs> artists, but until you see them, you don't. I had the same reaction like Bjork when I saw her. Like, I I went with my my friend Nikki from the Yeah Yeahs like open for her. Like this is in Boston. Like I don't know, fucking two thousand four or five or something. I went and saw her play. She had like a crazy dope band, with, like a harp player and like all these singers. You know, just like some shit you see, you're just like, ooh, this is like out. Like this is like too potent. Yeah. To really even digest, I saw actually I saw fucking Beyonce at at a some weird like Irish or some sh- fucking festival, but I got because of our because we were playing too, but I, I had like a the right badge or whatever, so I, <laughs> I gotta be like kind of like in the barricade, right. just watching her do her power. I was like, yeah, of course this is like one of the most powerful women in the world. She is, like, amazing. Like, she is, like, fucking queen of fucking pop music. Like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't even, like, listen to her records. But I was just like... Holy shit. Exactly. Yeah. It's a testament to, like... I don't know. You can talk endlessly about, like, how marketing or record labels or radio or whatever, like, fools people into, like, buying into, like, a bunch of bullshit. Which is true. But... There's also something true about there's some people that like fundamentally at their core are so interesting and such so artistic and so intriguing that people are drawn to them like a fucking moth to a flame. Like that's just, you can't like, there's no denying it. You know, it's like people go to it. I saw, um, I played the same stage as fucking uh, Hall and Oates in Europe like a couple summers ago, and like you know, like Hall and Oates from you know like when I was a kid, they they were fucking ruled. Yeah, I was just like they, like old ass dudes from Detroit, just crushing some weird fucking soul rock music in the middle of like you know fucking denmark wherever the fuck it was yeah and he's like it was insane yeah i was like there's you don't get this good by like no they've been doing like they've literally been doing this since the 60s (laughs) and they are just this good yeah that's like lionel richie too like if you see lionel richie live you're just like Oh yeah, Lionel Richie is a fucking amazing performer and has a million awesome songs. Yeah, exactly. And you're it does restore one's faith in that this that at least sometimes the things that are popular are popular because they're legitimately the best things. Exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, if you can do that for that long and be, I think, not a facsimile of something else, like when you. Listen, everyone's influenced and everyone's inspired by stuff, but I think that, to me, that's, like, the real cut-and-dry shit. was, like, where it's, like, if you can stay in the business long enough and keep putting out, like, creative output long enough that you become a thing that is, like, 
singular to your vision. I think that's what every like artist should like try to get to, which is just like it doesn't matter what it is and it doesn't matter what it takes to get there. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's what I respect, anyway. It's like, if you can become a singular version of yourself where no one else is going to confuse you with anyone, they're just going to be like, oh, that's that. That's that. That's that girl. That's that guy. You know? Yeah. I know who that is. Sounds like them. You know? And if people imitate you, fine, but they're a facsimile. Like, if you are your, like, singular self, then, like, I feel like you've won, you know, like you've in the world of like the fucked up world of like creative commerce entanglements, you know, where like the money is fucking not artistry and vice versa or whatever. But like, you know what I mean? Like if you can, if you can become yourself in a public forum and then, <clears throat> I mean, I think that's the first goal. And then the second goal, if you can create that and then achieve, like, longevity, then you've, like, really won. Then you've, like, that's, to me, that's, like, the ultimate goal. It's, like, be, like, your undeniable self, whatever that is, and produce art for people and then continue it you know until, for as long as you want exactly and or yeah until old fucking mother cancer tears you down or whatever the fuck gets you timmy taylor fucking car crash but yeah you know you just that's that's the coolest that's what i admire in people you know something to aspire to you know i just want to make stuff that resonates with me and you know, I think that I think if I make if I make art that feels right and relevant and like personal and immediate to me, there'll be some segment of the population of the world that will feel similar and will you know in their you know it's kind of like passing the hat at this point, but it's like yeah there'll be some people that'll somehow give me money whether it's giving you know buying a t-shirt or going to a show or paying for a fucking stream or down whatever it is who cares 
but there'll be enough people that put put a put a dollar that, forward, right? Right. That'll sustain me to continue my life and not have to get another job, and that is a beautiful thing, and I'm very grateful. All right. Well, I think we're. We did it. I think we did it. I think we actually talked like normal people. We did. But I think I did good. Today. You did great. You did great. I, I think I said what I meant to say. And Thank you so much for doing this. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 17 of LSQ. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, major thanks to Connor Oberst. Love you, dude. And thanks to all the folks at NAG Management and Nonesuch Records for their help and support. In the next episode of LSQ, a conversation with Leon Bridges. That's coming up in a few weeks. After that, Dirty Projectors, Dave Longstreth is my guest. Subscribe now so you get those episodes the minute they come out. And as I mentioned earlier, you can always reach me with questions and feedback on Twitter, at JennyLSQ. And also, before we go, one last thanks to the wonderful Greta Morgan of Springtime Carnivore, who wrote and recorded the LSQ theme song, and who's going to be on the road in Vampire Weekend as a touring member of the band in the months ahead. Yay! We love you, Greta. All right, talk to you next time.